Just, just drinking and praise mm-hmm. the Lord. All right. Is my fresca spiked? <laughs> Thank the Lord for fresca. Do I got vodka in this fresca? No, John MacArthur yeah. does not drink vodka. Uh-oh. <laughs> he drinks fresca. That's, that's too bad. But hey, man, they are pretty close to being Presbyterian anyways because they're talking about sphere of sovereignty and all this I mean, good stuff. They wanted Ooh. to say Kuiper. They wanted they to wanted say Kuiper. They wanted to, <laughs> but they couldn't because they'd give away. Hey, just a reminder, download the app, become a member, and sign up for the conference. Oh. Fight, Laugh, Feast, October 1st to the 3rd. It's it's filling up. It's filling up, man. We had a lot of registrations in July and a lot of registrations in June. And, man, we're looking we're looking to have a full house. I'm pretty excited. Hey, with us on the line, as you can see, we got Pastor Phil Johnson. He's the, the executive director of Grace to You. He's been closely associated with John MacArthur since 1981, which is a year after I was born. Well, I was born in 81. And edits most of Pastor MacArthur's major books. Phil also founded several popular websites, including the Spurgeon Archive, the Hall of Church History, and the Pyromaniacs blog. He's an ordained elder and pastor at Grace Community Church. Phil and his wife, Darlene, have three adult children and seven grandchildren. Is that Still correct, Phil? That is correct. All right. Yeah. Hey, welcome back to Cross Politic. Thanks for having me. And I have to say, I am impressed. Uh, not not that you found Fresco. We can get it around here in plastic bottles. Uh. But you got it in cans. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> There's no shortage over here. There's not a lot of Baptists in uh, Idaho. And so... Uh, <laughs> Idaho is still a free country. <laughs> hey, not <laughs> well. Not our county. That's true. Uh, not our so, county. Um, Phil... Um, I think it would be helpful, actually, if you could kind of take us back in time a little bit first. There's been the most recent statement, the worship service on Sunday. Um, Pastor MacArthur was on Tucker last night and you yes. know, all the fallout. But take us back to the beginning of the pandemic or, you know, quote unquote pandemic. Um, what were you right. what were you thinking as news reports start circulating? You know, the government orders start coming down. Um Take us back to the beginning and then maybe work your way forward. What happened and how do we get to this point? Right. Well, you remember there was quite a lot of discussion about the coming pandemic and all the all the uh, projections, the the models that they had made. Millions of people were going to die. Yeah. That was going on actually at the beginning of March when we mm-hmm. had our shepherds conference. And there was some right. uh, quite a lot of criticism of Grace Church at the time because we did have the shepherds conference. Mm-hmm. And um you know, one man who was there actually died shortly after uh, from COVID. He had contracted it from a family member. I think he had it while he was at the conference. Wow. As far as I've ever heard, nobody else from the conference was infected. At least no one that I know of claimed they they got the virus at the conference. Hmm. So we had this big conference with 5,000 people from literally, you know, dozens of countries around the world. And it didn't cause a breakout of the pandemic. But with all the projections, all the news and all the talk about millions of people dying, uh, at first, our elders said, you know, uh, quarantine for health reasons is a legitimate reason for the church not to meet. I mean, over over history, churches have done that. The Puritans did it frequently for smallpox outbreaks and things like that. 
uh, we could do that for a short time. Uh, and I remember we had a elders meeting, a scheduled elders meeting on the Thursday before the quarantine went into effect. As I recall, the quarantine started either the next day or that weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, we discussed, should we close the church for this? And we said, yeah, at the time they were saying 15 days to flatten the curve. And yeah, so yeah, it looked yeah, like a so. two week, maybe three Sundays we would miss. And we said, OK, you know, out of a, an abundance of caution, we're going to go along with this. Then the 15 days became 30 days, and then it became four or five months. Uh, with all the talk about when things are going to open up, we decided, let's just be patient, see how this goes. And the California governor said, okay, churches can meet. And we we actually began to have you know meetings in the church and, and all that. We didn't like reopen the church completely, but people came back. People came back of their own accord, right. as John MacArthur said last night on television. Um, people just spontaneously began filtering back and our our security guys just didn't, didn't prohibit people from coming in the, in the auditorium. So we've actually been, this Sunday was the first week it was really publicized. We've actually been having worship services in the worship center there for four or five weeks. Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. no outbreak still. So we're pretty confident that this is safe enough. And, um, um, uh, so the elders went back and contemplated. Oh no, I should I skipped something. The uh, the governor then reinstituted the ban against churches. Right. He, mm-hmm. he decided that if the infectious rates were going up, he needed to put everybody back under stay at home orders, and uh, he he since modified it some, but it would have put a stop to the meetings we were having at that point. Uh, the elders reconvened and to discuss it again, and and. Uh, we said, look, at this point, the government is really overstepping the bounds of their authority. Yeah. Uh, they don't have the authority to tell us how, when, and whether to worship. Uh, and uh, and we believe the, the immediate danger has been, in fact, the, the people who made the original models with millions dying, right. that guy in England actually stepped off his out of his government role because he admitted he got it totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we knew... In March, what we knew now, I don't think there would have been a quarantine. But now that the government has a handle on it, they won't let it go. And mm. our, our elders finally said, look, this is not within the purview of government authority to tell us that we cannot meet for worship anymore. And, and in fact, in California, they're talking about extending it. The governor's words were indefinitely. Right. Whoa. And uh, right after he instituted the indefinite ban, they actually canceled the uh, Rose Parade in Pasadena. So it's pretty clear that they're planning to extend this through the end of the year. And we look across the country, there are churches, J.D. Greer, for example, announced his church isn't going to meet again this calendar year. Uh, And, um, uh, you know, Andy Stanley, thankfully, closed his church. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there's some bright sides to all this. Right. Yeah, there is an upside to it. So, But but we said, look, we're not going to do that. In fact, we need to get back meeting. We've had people die, not from COVID, but uh, from other reasons. And most of those who died have been isolated and kept away from their families because right. of the mm-hmm. quarantine. Right. We haven't been able to have funerals. We can't do pastoral work, normal pastoral work. Right. We have to get back to the business of the church. And in fact, perhaps we waited too long. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so we issued that statement uh, explaining what our position is. And uh, the following Sunday, the church was packed. Amen. And I expect it'll be packed again this Sunday. Amen. Amen. 
um, explain to me, you know, the reasoning uh, behind how, you know, when this whole thing went down in March, I remember, you know, I, I understand kind of the initial reaction to all that everyone had was, okay, we don't quite know. We'll, we'll defer to our government. At, at what point do we, does the, does the church turn the corner and say, we're, you know, what's the reasoning behind the church turning the corner and say, okay, we aren't deferring to our government anymore. We're operating under our own church authority. Well, again, the longer it went and the, and the more our people were starved for fellowship and our pastors were unable to do pastoral work, uh, gradually, I think more and more of our elders came around to say, Look, we can't we can't continue with this. It it weighed upon our con- it would have weighed upon our conscience at the beginning if we hadn't at least, you know, given a nod to the fact that there may be a real danger here and and. And followed the quarantine, but it began to weigh on our conscience that look, Hebrews ten twenty five is, is still a binding command. Right. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, the mm-hmm. assembling of yourselves together, and and we're feeling the weight of conscience on that issue. Now we have fifty plus elders, so they don't all change their mind at the same time. Right. <laughs> so this was a, a difficult process for us. We have two elders who are judges, two who are attorneys two who are doctors. Uh, so obviously all of us bring, you know, different concerns yeah. to the table yeah. and we had to get on the same page and it, it took a little while to do that. So, yet, but, yeah, um, so why, we, we did. why use, you know, this pandemic or this COVID virus to stand against the government in, in the sense that you're just saying, Hey, we aren't going to listen to your decision over here. We need to, ab- we don't want to abdicate our authority, our our pastoral shepherding to our church and so forth. Why choose the, the, this virus to pick that fight? Specifically because the government restrictions were, uh, began to intrude directly into the issue of how we worship, how we do pastoral work, yeah. uh, how we fellowship with one another, the, things that are the business of the church and the elders of the the church and are not the business of the government government and it, it just became such a conflict that it, i think it forced us to look at at the issue and you know the context of romans 13 first peter 2 uh, a little more deeply a little more thoroughly mm-hmm. and uh, that statement is the result mm-hmm. um so phil, oh, i'm sorry let me have a little bit of my fresco real quick mm. <laughs> We're having uh, Fresco with me. Phil. Uh, That's a new podcast Fresco with phil there we go <laughs> so everybody is right. by the way by the way, people ask me all the time, is there anything you disagree with John MacArthur on? And, you know, part of my answer now is, yeah, I hate Fresca. <laughs> <laughs> Even a better name for his podcast then. <laughs> okay, so there's a yeah. lot of people like Pastor Tobu who don't know why the Fresca. Yeah, I, I'm so, so lost. So Sunday, right after the statement came out, the Sunday after the statement came out, uh, Pastor was talking about the fact that, you know, uh, out, uh, uh, was it wineries and bars? Not yeah. bars. Wineries and um, liquor stores are still yeah, open. Liquor stores, right? And, yeah. and he's like, and then this, they're open. He can't get Fresca because they're they're selling so much beer because of the recycling of the cans that they can't make Fresca in cans. Oh, and so and he likes his Fresca. He said this in the message. <laughs> he said this in his message. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want a Fresca. You know, and it was just it was great. It, it was one of those spontaneous comments that I'm sure he didn't plan to say, but I, I clipped that part out of the video and posted it this morning. 
So if you look at my Twitter feed, okay. somewhere somewhere there, it was a response to somebody who asked, what is all the Fresca thing about? Right. Uh, the video of what he actually said is there. It is kind of funny. Yeah. I, I see the there's some, somebody made a little meme that you posted that says, I came here to defy tyrants and drink Fresca, and I'm I all out of Fresca. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Phil, I want to ask you right now. You guys have been getting some pushback, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you, man. I am extremely surprised and from who and how the pushback has come. But I really want to ask yeah. you um, the pushback that you've been getting. I've been seeing is that, and a lot of other churches who have done this, it's not loving. And your Christian witness right now is looking really bad because you have a lot of people who don't understand why you would put that with three thousand or more people at risk when we're in a time of a virus. And as Christians, we need to be loving our neighbor. There was pictures out there. You guys weren't wearing masks. It didn't seem like a lot of people were wearing masks anyway. And, and why would you do that and witness to the world that you don't really care about what's going on? Yeah, and in fact, the ironic thing about that is it is love for our people that has motivated us to do this. Mm-hmm. The reality that so many people have been without pastoral care. Mm. Uh, we've, we actually had a woman in my flock who nearly died. And and by that, I mean, she was in critical condition and we were praying for her entry into heaven. We thought she was going to die because she was turned away from the emergency room in a medical crisis because she didn't have, uh, she didn't have the, the symptoms of COVID. She was struggling. She's, she's suffering from cancer and she has difficulty swallowing. And so she had a totally different issue and nearly died from it because the emergency room looked at her and said, you don't have COVID go home. Wow. They wouldn't treat her. Uh, So things like that, I I think with all the talk about uh, a mask somehow fulfilling the second great commandment, there is a lot of ramifications to the second great commandment that are not fulfilled by wearing a mask. And as I've said elsewhere, the, the heart of uh, new Testament fellowship, the word koinonia in the new Testament is is all about intimacy and communion, fellowship. It's not about masks and distancing. It's about as far from that as you can get. Yeah. Uh, so not that we make a rule either way. We don't tell people not to wear masks, but we don't tell them to do it. We decided the question of whether you wear a mask and practice social distancing is really a classic sort of Romans 14 thing. Yeah. There are places on our campus where you can come and listen to the message and, and participate in the worship to a degree and still practice social distancing if that's what your conscience says and that's what your fears drive you to do but we're not gonna we're not gonna close the uh the sanctuary to people who who don't feel compelled to wear masks and who aren't afraid uh it's their own choice might people become infected with covid19 yeah but even so, there's a 99.9% chance you're going to survive if you get it. I, I don't see that it's that much different. I, I agree it's worse than the average annual flu epidemic, but it's not that much worse. Not so much worse that we really need to close down the economy and shut down, seal up the churches. Uh, as John MacArthur has said, the church is the one thing that needs to be open when people's fears have been elevated to such a ridiculous extreme. Mm. And I, I think some of the pushback has been like, well, you, you guys can be open, but why don't you just guys just have church outside or limit the amount of people that can come into the service? Why don't you guys just follow those guidelines? Yeah, you know, we actually erected a, a huge tent in the parking lot so that we could do that as as much as we can. But even with the tent, if you follow the social gu- distancing guidelines, put the chairs far enough apart, 
with this massive tent that covers, you know, three quarters of our parking lot. Uh-huh. Still, if you follow if you follow strictly all the regulations, we couldn't get one third. We couldn't get one fourth of our congregation into that tent. Uh, well, in fact, I don't I I doubt if we could get a tenth of our people in there, frankly. Wow. Well, J.D. Griff fixed that by having house churches. Yeah, which is uh, mind boggling to me. He said something like, wasn't it like twenty five hundred or twenty five I forget how many house churches, but it's a ridiculously high number. And I'm thinking, I don't know of a flock in America, certainly not people who've been listening to J.D. Greer, who uh, have that many men in their congregation. Of course, he doesn't care if they're men. But he doesn't have that many people in his con- congregation who are elder qualified and able to lead those groups mm. as church plants. He's calling them church plants. Wow. Uh, when they're really just informal home groups. And, uh, as I as I pointed out in in John ten, it's the wolf who scatters the sheep, not the shepherd. Oh, <laughs> oh okay, all right. Better have another sip okay. of fresco. I'm, 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 yeah, because okay. So here's <laughs> before I do that, this is my last one on this. I think Jonathan Lehman. I read his article, and I'm listening to the podcast with him and Mark Dever. <laughs> my wife, she's hilarious for the first of all, and she's kind of sleep in and out listening to this, and and she's hearing the responses come from Mark and Lehman, and and. Uh, and she says, isn't it ironic that this is coming from nine marks? Yeah. I mean, they are the ones who, who have so stressed the importance of not having, not only not having uh, multiple campuses, they don't even like the idea of multiple church services. They right. think the whole congregation right. needs to be there all at once. And, and I'm you know, highly sympathetic to that view. I, I've always mm-hmm. thought I love the way they love the gathering of the church. Yes. And yet it seems to me in the face of this, they've thrown that completely away. And in fact, Jonathan Lehman's article pointedly uh, uh, talked about J.D. Greer, Greer's plan to break up the church into thousands of little house right. churches. Right. And he said, that seems like a valid approach. Uh, that that in one fell swoop seems to utterly contradict everything it, it, that it, Nine Marks ever stood for. I don't it, get it. And this is what's crazy about this. Okay, so I'm reading that article, and that part, hear my wife say that, I couldn't stop laughing because for years they've been a blessing to me. But to hear that this is coming from them, it tickled me to no end because it's so ironic. Right. But the other thing was <laughs> that he said that was crazy to me, and I, I kind of want to get your response to this. Is this the time to spin our capital on something like a pandemic? And, and I want to know, yeah. how, how are you, what's your response to that? My response is, what capital? Scripture says, marvel not if the world hates you. Uh, we don't have a lot, a lot of capital with the world. And yeah. even if we did, that's not what we're supposed to be guarding. We have to guard <laughs> oh. the truth of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. What do you, um, we've you been know, talking on. Hold on just go ahead, I, go. I just got to mention, you guys seen the meme going around where the 10th mark of the church is that you actually gather for worship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need yeah. a tenth mark. Apparently. Nine assumed. marks, add one. Ten marks. And you actually gather. You actually meet. All right, go ahead, Gabe. Sorry. Yeah, you know, so we've been talking about this a lot over the last couple months, that when, you know, this pandemic is presenting Christians with a real opportunity. You know, every state's different. Every church is different. Every Even Christian businesses. You know, it's like, where are the opportunities? So when you guys have made this decision to, I really, to go more publicly with what you're doing, uh, what opportunities have you guys seen in all this with what, you, you know, uh, I mean, other churches getting encouraged and bold and other churches opening up, what's you know, the, what, what's the positive response been? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that is, uh, that is exactly the language John MacArthur used in his sermon on Sunday. This is not 
a threat to the church. This is an opportunity for us to take a stand with Christ, a bold stand, uh, and and all the fear about whether this is might ruin our testimony is kind of ridiculous. This is our testimony that Come on, you man. know we obey Christ. Amen. Yep. We are we worship Christ, not Caesar. Yeah. In in uh, in the immediate response, you you wrote a follow up blog post um, in the immediate aftermath of the release of the of the statement from the elders, saying, "Okay, everybody's asking the question: What happened? What changed their minds?" And you and I thought it was really helpful. Um, articulation of we, we studied Romans thirteen some more, and um, and you you alluded to this earlier. Can you walk us through what are some things about Romans thirteen or First Peter two or, or the actual exegesis that you said you know maybe I didn't I didn't play this part enough or I didn't I didn't catch that part uh, as much. Yeah, I I I just think that your understanding of where the line is crossed by Caesar uh, is. It needs to be a little bit more nuanced and and full. Let's say not nuanced, but I hate that word. Full. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I do too. It, it needs to be more full than than what you know. We were originally treating it kind of as a simple thing, and you see this on online a lot. You know, you have to obey Caesar unless uh, Caesar commands you to do something that's forbidden, or forbids you to do something that's commanded. Right. I, I think it's a, a little bit more. Uh, there's a deeper issue than that. When Christ talked about, you know, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's, that also puts on a, on us the obligation not to render to Caesar that which is God's. Right. Mm. Uh, and you look back through church history, for example, take the Puritans. They were commanded uh, by the Church of England and by the civil authorities in England to use the prayer book and, and wear uh, vestments, right. and they refused. Now, the people today who are arguing, no, you know, you have to go with the with the government order, and because and you have to wear your mask in worship uh, because the government says to. I wonder what those people would have said to the Puritans who said, no, no, we're not going to wear vestments, yeah, and we're not going to use the prayer book. The argument could easily have been said to them, but you can do those things and not be committing an overt right. sin. Because right. right. the Lord doesn't command you not to wear vestments. The Lord doesn't command you not to wear the to use the the prayer book. But they said, no, no, no. This intrudes on on our worship to the Lord, and it puts Caesar in charge of how worship is done, and that oversteps the bounds of civil government's authority. And uh, that's essentially what we're saying here. We see the mask as a parallel to the to vestments in a way, not an exact parallel you get, but yeah. but it's the same kind of same kind of principle. Sure. And um, uh, so we're not going to make a law that our people have to wear a piece of uh, face covering that Scripture doesn't command right. them to do. When right. in fact, Scripture commands us to greet one another with a holy kiss. And while we don't we don't. Uh, we don't necessarily uh, see that as a slavishly liberal, literal command the way you know some churches do in in Eastern Europe, where they actually do kiss each other right on the lips. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nevertheless, the principle there is for the the warmth and intimacy of of our fellowship. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and when you when you purposely put barriers between people in worship, you do affect koinonia. Yeah. In a negative way, and it's not the government's prerogative to make rules like that. You know what? Go ahead, Toby. Okay, thank. Um, one of the other <laughs> things we, we've um, we hit a lot of the, uh, the 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 pandemic itself, and and so on the one hand, you've got you know the fears of 
bad numbers, millions dying, and then the numbers actually roll in and um, recovery rates extremely high, death rates way lower, um, yeah. asymptomatic, you know, cases, you know, maybe half or more are, are, you know, you barely know you even have a cold. Um, you know, I saw one meme going around, you know, what, what kind of pandemic is it that um, so many people have to be tested because otherwise you wouldn't know you had it. Right. Um, it so there's, there's that whole side of it. One of the things we haven't mentioned, I'm curious if you or your elders have discussed, has been, meanwhile, Black Lives Matter blew up. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, had the, um, we had the George Floyd um, death in, in Minneapolis, and then the sort of, you know, the protests, and you've got thousands of people gathering um, and, you know, and, and, um, and all over, and, you know, we're a few hours from Seattle, Portland, we got riots still going on in Portland. Yep. Um, and so some of it for, for me is, I mean, you've got the pandemic itself, just all by itself. You can analyze that. And it's like, it's, this is not what you guys thought. It, right, it's just right, not. Right. But meanwhile, um, it, you know, you, not only is there a mandate that you, you know, you, you've got to walk around with the mask in many places, um, but the flip side is, and police may not stop riots. And, um, and yeah. thousands and thousands of people without social distancing concerns must be allowed to express their emotions freely while looting targets and burning down police stations. Right. Um, has, has some of that irony, um, a disproportion, inequality, has that figured into your all's thinking about this as well? Yes, obviously, those are things we've discussed and decried. But honestly, I look at the world and think uh, this this world has been headed that direction, uh, abandoning and, and even hating truth for a long time. So it doesn't surprise me. Right. What surprises me is the number of young evangelicals who sort of buy into that. Mm. And in fact, back to Jonathan Lehman, he weeks before he wrote an article expressing how uneasy he was with the Grace Church elders' decision to meet, uh, he he participated in a Black Lives Matter-themed protest on the Lord's Day uh. when his church mm. wouldn't meet, but he led the church in participating in a public protest like that. Wow. And uh, he, he was, he's, he sees that as legitimate. I, I, I say that raises questions about where the real priorities lie in yeah. in in a person's mind. I, I I can't reconcile that in my head. And, and to come from, you know, someone like nine marks, right. It's shocking. It's, it's totally unexpected. If you had told me five years, it would five years ago that it would come to this. I would have said never. I, part of my heart has been dying inside (laughs) of me watching the uh, major league baseball season get way. And we've got all of these players kneeling down, holding some kind of, you know, black voodoo, fabric across. <laughs> I mean but but we've a number of us have been saying this for a long time but but this is getting more and more overtly religious. I mean it, it's it's been religious for a long time. I mean sta- now they're having ceremonies. You know state <laughs> statism, statism is a religion and you know worship you either worship Jesus or Caesar and and, and it's it's happened for a long but it's getting like yeah. you know full I mean t- talk about vestments, talk about prayer books. I mean if if you don't do the hashtag, if you don't say the line the way it's supposed to be said and cross yourself the right way and put on the vestment you know, you're going to get excommunicated. We call that canceled, right? right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but it's I, but it's not literally. That's the case. I I wrote about this uh, maybe a month ago. Okay. Uh, it's also on my blog, an article where I, I said, "Look, wokeism is is a cult. It's not only a cult; it's a hateful cult." Yeah. Yeah. And I don't see how Christians can possibly buy into it. Yeah. But they are in droves. Right. 
guilt. We had we have a there's a there's one um, lawsuit actually in Idaho that I think Gabe you're part Come of it. On it. Yeah. Um, that's that's challenging some of the uh, laws uh, mandates that our governor did yep. and uh, against and, the church and, and one of the one of the um, uh, pieces of the suit that I read early on and I was like I don't know if that's going to work or not it's, he's actually um, alleging that um, by many of these mandates and the way that these this governors acted um, there's actually an establishment of another religion in process. And, and I don't know how that's going to fly in the courtroom, yeah. but the more and more I think about it, I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, we have, we have an, oh. a, another religion being established oh, easily. Right, now. right now. Undeniable. Look, look up the blog post I wrote. What I said was it's, it's, the, it's the sort of natural substitute for the hole in the heart of a, an atheist who's rejected religion, and yet he needs something to worship. And so they've got their own liturgy, their own hymnology, yeah. th- their own, you know— uh, rituals and and uh yeah. credos you, like you said if you don't if you don't sign on to all the hashtags your orthodoxy is in question right. you will be excommunicated phil I, we we've I've had, said i've said last night sorry yeah, no, no, go. Uh, i'm so happy to have phil on the other thing though is, is I, what i've been saying is actually i think wokeism is a better religion than most evangelicalism I, I think most evangelicalism has has less substance yeah Less substance than wokeism. I think wokeism is a is a cult and a false religion, but I think it has more substance to it than most evangelical churches. Yeah, and that that yeah, actually, that, that actually it, follows up that my my question here real quick with you, Phil. Um, uh, what has this revealed about the evangelical church nationwide? You know, I think for a long time, I think a lot of us have been concerned that hey, the church isn't that healthy, but I think this whole crisis has really showed some things about the evangelical church. Yeah, no question. With starting with what he just said, the, the shallowness of uh, popular evangelicalism is being exposed by this, and uh, it happened 15 years ago with the emergent church and all of that yeah. nonsense. You had a whole generation of people who had grown up in shallow evangelicalism, looking for something with more substance, and it seemed that way, and so they latched onto it. This is just part two of that. When the emerging church movement died, I said at the time, the movement may be dead, but those ideas that they threw into the evangelical mix are like little dandelion seeds that are going to bring a whole crop of new heresies. And wokeism is one of those. The the emergents were talking about social justice as well. Yeah, they were. They were woke before it was popular. That's right. And and what's ironic to me is that organizations like – the Gospel Coalition, T4G, that were started ostensibly to defend the gospel against the emerging attack, have all of a sudden bought into wokeism in such a way that it, it's clouded the message that they said they they started themselves mm. to defend. Yeah. Now we need a new effort to defend the gospel again against wokeism. But I, I fear that the broad evangelical movement is just so pathetically shallow that what's going to happen in it's an amorphous movement anyway so it's yeah. not as easy to define as the mainstream uh denominations were a hundred years ago but the same thing's going to happen to these evangelical churches that happened to the mainstream denominational churches a hundred years ago they're all going to dissolve into some kind of liberal moralistic you know agenda that totally clouds the gospel And somewhere there will be a new remnant of faithful believers Mm -hmm. who are still committed to the gospel 
younger people will rediscover Calvinism and and the Puritans and yeah. you know pe- right. people who yeah people who've actually defended the gospel right. and they'll feel the obligation to do that. The Lord always keeps a remnant, and yeah. uh, I want to be part of that remnant. So, I don't well, well thanks the for the uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast conference plug, October 1st through the 3rd. <laughs> <and then. laughs> it's, it looks like a Gideon thing. I don't know. I don't keep thinking of like a Gideon yeah. moment. God's yeah. like, you got too many people. Get, get, yeah. Whittle it down. Yeah, I, want, I want some faithful. I need some faithful. So, Phil, yeah. I have two questions. One I'm going to ask you after we get off, but one I... <laughs> <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> but this but this one, right now, when you, when you, you guys had the whole world watching you Sunday, and a lot of Christians praying for you. And it was amazing to watch this moment because it felt big. It's not like, oh. We, we prayed for them at, at yeah, church on Sunday. We prayed for you. It, it, we could, yeah. it was a big moment. And so moments like that is a, almost like a declare war. <laughs> it's, yeah. It doesn't end there. So you know something is coming up next. I'm sure the governor was watching that moment. And if you have a, just a second right now to kind of like talk to the governor, to speak to him, what would you say? How would you encourage him? And, and how would you encourage the people who watch that moment and know you guys are about to get into a fight? Um, yeah, and in fact, the governor, I think, has some personal history with John MacArthur. I don't know if you knew this, but no. once they, they appeared together on uh, Larry King, they were on a panel no uh, way. Uh, and had a disagreement on, uh, yeah, if you do a Google search, you'll find it, mm-hmm. uh, John MacArthur and, uh, what's his I name, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do remember that. And, wow. and uh, John and just uh, sort of manhandled him. Yes. I mean, it was intellectually anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so there's a, a bit of personal history there. I, I have this feeling he's going to take our defiance personally. I don't know what he'll do. I don't know if there really is anything he can do, uh, but it, he, he'll figure out something and do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a message for him other than, you know, we have to obey God rather than men. Yeah. So no matter what kind of uh, rules he tries to make to govern our worship, uh, we're not going to feel any more obliged to obey those than we are his no gathering order. Mm. Well, brother, I am praying for you. I, I told you before we got started that you guys got my goosebumps going and my speaking in tongues started happening and all that stuff. And I had to rebuke myself because I got excited because I'm seeing <laughs> I got too excited I got too, too excited. excited so we're praying for you and uh, pray you guys uh, have boldness in this yeah amen and thank Strong. you for coming on Phil if you're single get married if you're married have kids and if you have kids go baptize them until Sunday love God with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself drink your fresca uh-huh. and go fight laugh and feast to the glory of God this is Cross Politics